a Highline podcast. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Rebel. I'm Emily and I'm here with my friends Josh and Stephen. I'm Josh and I'm here with my friends Stephen and Emily. And I'm Stephen and I'm here with my friends Emily and Josh. Oh my gosh. Hi. <laughs> What the hell was that? Why did we do that? Why not? I just went for it. Thank you for continuing it. It was so fun. What an energy. That was that was the epitome of yes and. We did not rehearse that at all. <laughs> that was awesome. Are you kidding me? Uh, I wanted to kind of spice things up. So there Success. you go. You did it. Your spiciness um, has been received. Indeed. What are you guys drinking on this fine evening? Wow. Wow. Well, if the accent wasn't any indication, I am far too hot right now for alcohol. So I am drinking a <laughs> LaCroix that I put a nice giant square ice cube into like I'm drinking a alcohol. Yeah. And the I'm sorry to say that it's so warm in here that the ice has already entirely melted so i'm drinking like watered down lacroix wow so it's like even more or even less essenced yeah yeah right yeah it's taken away essence i'm hydrating Mm -hmm. over here yeah how is that summer treating you without ac because ac is not typical in washington is that right that's and thankfully neither is the 90 degree climate so uh Mm. we're we're having very few 90 degree days anymore and it's a pretty steady pretty nice summer here in seattle fair well so done. we're like we're like upper seventies, low eighties. I think we're gonna hit ninety this week again, but like it's bearable, you know, like if it's Good. only like a day or something. Excellent. Yep. Um I'm enjoying a very, very nice, like it's a bright and crisp beer from a local brewer called By All Means. Oh uh here in Billings, Montana. This is their Lucent Bond. Um it's a very light uh summer beer that it's like its main two tasting notes are lemon zest and fresh grated ginger. Oh. So it's a very light, citrusy, refreshing, and it's a full pint can. So I'm just, I'm enjoying it. I'm doubling down on the alcohol, Josh. You it went the other way. It comes in pints? It, Heck it yeah. comes in pints. Thank you. Wonderful. Peregrine Toque. Yes. Mm, love it. I am drinking a pomegranate lemonade. That sounds yummy. Ooh. It is it is delightful in a weird way. And I wasn't expecting it to be, so that's even better. Um Well played. So I have a question for y'all. What do Samwise Gamgee and Superman have in common? <gasps> I would say they're both white okay. and they're both non-human. Okay. And they both uh do they have a weird do they both have weird anatomy? I guess one's short and one's just strong. That doesn't really count. Huh. Um, and they're both the... Nope, I got nothing else. I'm done. Steven, what about you? I think the only thing they have in common is that they are both considered the heroes of their stories. Though I think Samwise Gamgee has a character and a heart of gold that honestly surpasses Superman in almost every way. He is... Yeah the hero I want from every story. And literally, I don't think Sean Astin could have played him any better in the trilogy. Mm, For sure. So, Stephen, you pretty much nailed it. Those two individuals are considered uh, the Christ figure or the hero. Whoa. And so... Really? 
Yes. Is that accepted? I've never heard that before. Oh, yes. It is widely popular to refer to individuals as the Christ figure. And that's what I want to talk about is the idea of a Christ figure and pop culture and who are people we look up to that we see as a Christ figure and what makes them, Hmm. you know, have that title. Because I think it's very interesting that we... In pulp culture, you know, and I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I often use it in my sermons. And I just think it's so fascinating that we have characters that we are wanting to give the title of a Christ figure, Mm. Mm. like having that title specifically. And I want to know, A, how do y'all feel about that? And B... Do you agree with it? And C, do you have a Christ figure in your own life that is not Jesus? Yo, those are some good questions. Yeah. Um, can we start with like a definition? Because like I've I know yes. the term Christ figure and like I know that that's a thing in literature, but I've honestly never heard anyone point to Samwise Gamgee or Superman. And I, I guess I kind of get it. So maybe this is getting at your question number one question mark Mm -hmm. about like what is a christ figure i've always heard christ figure defined as like a character that is clearly pointing to the story of christ usually depicting their ultimate sacrifice usually being death okay Mm -hmm. and not resurrection question mark okay which i think is interesting Mm. i'm sure there's exceptions to that but so like i guess i can see the parallels between like like arguing that Sam or Superman is a Christ figure in the story. Yeah. I've always seen it defined as that and showing elements of who Jesus was in Jesus's ministry. So loving your neighbor and showing unconditional love in the sense of, yeah, basically like laying down their life for people. And it's interesting that you said and not resurrection, because if we look at between the two, Superman does resurrect in a really bizarre way. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> like in the comics? Yes. Oh, didn't know yeah. that. Um, I'm trying to think now. I think it's Doomsday is actually who kills, quote unquote, kills Superman. Huh. Fascinating. I think, just to be pedantic with you a little bit as a monstrous Tolkien nerd. I've, Do it. I've usually heard Gandalf called the Christ figure of the Lord of the Rings and not Samwise. Oh, interesting. Especially because of the resurrection element of Gandalf the Grey going through the trial by fire, fighting the Balrog in the mines of Moria, and then essentially resurrecting as Gandalf the White. And being Gandalf the White. Yeah. Yeah. See, Mm. that one does make more sense to me, but also, to be pedantic again, wasn't Tolkien super against the idea of Lord of the Rings being allegorical, and doesn't the Christ figure... Uh, interpretation imply allegory? Oh. Uh, I would say yes and no as a... In that order? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was against allegory. Uh, he was famously critical of C.S. Lewis making Chronicles of Narnia so allegorical. Yeah, and like Aslan's an obvious Christ figure. Like, there's yeah. no way around that. It's so, It's so clear, right? Yeah, so he was famously critical of C.S. Lewis mostly because he thought that C.S. Lewis was writing down to a more or less, I don't think he said it this way, but basically a less intelligent or dumber audience. Whereas I think Tolkien had uh, had a feeling of like, I shouldn't have to make it so obvious, even if that's what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. So that's why I say no, is like, he's not opposed to people necessarily like, deriving meaning allegorical meaning out of the lord of the rings he just maintained throughout his life that he didn't explicitly set out to do that so again to be pedantic on you <laughs> pedantic pedantic but mm-hmm. um i can be i can be i think i can be on board with samwise gamgee especially if you're going to interpret uh some of his character development through almost like a dark knight of the soul moment rather than just like Ooh, straight yeah. up crucifixion and death and resurrection like i think sam's also emily this is crazy by the way because you're this episode is coming out on september 7th which is only five days after the premiere of the new amazon show rings of power based on the second <gasps> age 
of oh, that's right. Middle Earth. So crazy that you've timed it this way. Very proud mm. of you. Thank you. I have not watched it at this point because it is not September yet at the time of recording, but I'm sure I will have reviews next episode because I am oh, for sure. wildly excited for this. But yeah, I think there's, there's something about a, like a dark night of the soul that you could probably interpret into like quote unquote Christ-like figures like Sam's journey through like the terror of uh, Shelob's lair at Kira Thungol, mm-hmm. right? And like rescuing Frodo from capture was a huge pivotal moment. Um, I'm going to keep ca- talking about Lord of the Rings unless I just like specifically attempt to stop myself. So I personally like it when I can resonate with parts of the Jesus of Nazareth Christ story inside of pop culture. I think it's just a very... See, I do too. Yeah. I find it, um, I don't know, in some ways, I find it very... Uh, satisfying as a person who used to be very evangelical about their faith of like yeah wherever you can get this message i think that's great (laughs) (laughs) Mm. which i've recognized in other elements of stories recently that have come out like i think uh call me crazy but i think the doctor strange uh multiverse movie did some pretty cool theology as well as the thor love and thunder had some pretty cool things to say. Um, there's a lot more nerdery that could go on around that. But I think, I don't know. I just, I like it when story is used well to tell a, com- like, a compelling story that moves us to a realization about our real lives that doesn't necessarily have to be about just like superheroes with ripped bods and yeah. cool weapons, you know? Exactly. So yeah, maybe there's... So maybe that was your first question. Could you remind me of your second and third question? My second question was, how do we feel about Christ figures in pulp culture? So you basically, yes. The third question is, do you have people in your life that you would say are, quote unquote, Christ figures? However you would define that. Hmm. I think that's a hard question. Like, I think I understand (laughs) the intention of your question. Like, who do you think in your life? most represents Jesus, but I almost think that the question is for me is kind of like, is there a difference between like Christ figure as a concept and people who I think act like Jesus? See, and maybe that's what it com maybe there is a difference. I don't know. Like that's what I want to know. <laughs> here's a little bit of a tangent for my answer. I took a class in college and I think it was the best class I ever took. It was called The Bible in the Modern Imagination easiest class and also the best class I ever took. So the concept of the class was pairing biblical readings. We kind of moved somewhat linearly through the Bible, like at least in like order of canon. Uh, so pairing texts of the Bible that are more or less pretty well known and pairing them with works of art and media that arguably reference that text in a way that by reading the text, we would be informed about the media, the literature, the movie, whatever, like that the text would bring meaning to the work and that the work in some ways would also bring light to the text. And that kind of pairing of meaning making, I think is really, it's really profound. And I think that it takes, it takes like conscious effort to think about like, oh, how does this play that I'm watching that is like obviously making like biblical reference or like how does how does seeing aspects of Jesus in Lord of the Rings like also help me shape what I'm reading and like coming to conclusions about? And I think that that's a very interesting like thought process to consider in yourself that I personally don't think most people are asking. What's interesting to me in your question is that we I don't think we talked about Christ figure in that class. Or if we did it wasn't very much. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. a focal point in the class. And I think that the I think that the concept of Christ figure is interesting because I think Stephen brought up a good point about Lewis and Tolkien in that I think some people mean Christ figure to like portray to like purposely portray to their audience, the story of Jesus somehow, or like an aspect of the story of Jesus in a way Mm -hmm. that's trying to like point to the text and not just, Oh, when we look at Lord of the Rings, it seems like Gandalf has some parallels. Yeah. Like, to me, I think the concept of Christ figure feels like it must have been on purpose from the author, I guess. Um, 
So I guess to answer your question about who in my life do I think is a Christ figure? I don't know. I don't know if anyone comes to mind. Is that mean? No, I think that's very <laughs> like, valid. I think that there's lots of people who are, but like, or like people that I think are embodying Jesus's teachings. Mm. But I think that Christ, I think that the term Christ figure, the way I've understood it at least, is referring to a story that is not reality, that is mapping the biblical narrative of the Christ onto a character. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's funny because I don't remember who exactly I was talking to, but this individual was basically saying like the person in their life that they were talking about and uplifting, they were almost equating to be like Jesus Christ, not in just the sense of like living out Jesus's teachings and being kind and, you know, compassionate and loving, but kind of putting this person on a pedestal equal to Jesus the Christ. And so I wonder, are there people in our lives that we do that for? That we are, you know, we that's huge. We kind of have this grander kind of rose-colored lenses in a sense of who this person is that we would equate them to being like Jesus Christ. We see it, I think, all the time when it comes to politics and oh. people running for offices. We see in campaign ads, we hear all the wonderful and amazing things that they're doing, but the way that sometimes it comes across is like, this person's walking on water and feeding thousands of people. They're essentially the Christ, like wow. in some mm. way or another. They, they try to get this message across that this is the person that we should be electing and here's why and putting them on this pedestal that is in a way putting them in a Christ figure, quote unquote, category. And so, Josh, I think your answer is absolutely valid and a great answer because I don't think we should have people that we equate to being like Christ in that sense. But I know that there are individuals that do. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that happens in politics and religion most prominently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting the fine line between like looking up to real people or fictional characters as embodying like Christ's way, but there's a really fine line, I think, between that and like idolatrously regarding them as savior or as Messiah. I think that's really what you're mm-hmm. honing in on, Emily, is that that feeling of like, oh, yeah. well, if I just make sure to cast my vote for this person and they truly get elected, then things, you know, I like, yeah then all my problems will be solved or something like that. And that's very simplistic. And I don't think anyone actually believes that, but I think to a degree we all end up like putting faith in characters like that, whether they be politicians or pastors or, you know, fictional characters even. Um, Yeah. Because my, my gut feeling to your question was like, no, I don't think I, you know, like I don't regard Gandalf the same way that I do Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Like I've never, I've seen the parallels surely, but I, I've never, I don't think I've ever put them on the same level of like that commands respect or worship or whatever. Sure. But to Josh's point, what does resonate with me is when I even see fictional characters acting in like a Christ like way. Yeah. Right. Like, okay. I, but like, why, why not just read the story of Jesus? You know, like why not let those characters be their own? Well, okay. Mm. Great point. I think good stories, uh, teach us what it's like to have bad moments and good moments. And I think mm. while we do have bad moments that are given to us in the gospel, I think the, the gospels compiled in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do a lot more to like put forward Jesus's teachings Mm. rather than give us a ton of narrative around what he's doing. Whereas if I'm going to spend a total of six books reading the character development and the growth and identifying with Mr. Samwise Gamgee, you know, when he has his heroic moment and he's carrying Frodo up the slopes of Mount Doom, I'm like, I've had really bad days and I've also had days where I feel like I'm the one carrying someone. And that is really cool to identify with and like, Mm. No, 
there's something about that that humanity of like I've seen Sam have his bad days or like you know like uh, in the story of Les Mis I've seen him steal a loaf of bread be in prison for it and now his character development has brought him to a place where he's like making sacrificial moves to save kids on the front lines of the revolution and then he's like making sure his daughter is set up the daughter that he adopted by the way and uh making sure she's set up for a happy and fruitful life um which is very moving or like when you see like Sidney Carton lay his life down for Charles Darnay who he just happens to look like in the tale of two cities and by the end of it he like swaps places because he recognizes that Charles has uh, a life and that he that his one act of heroism after a life of like mediocrity and not feeling like he's contributing much is like I can switch places with this guy and I'll take the guillotine instead of him so he can marry his love and be a part of his family you know and like I don't know I I think the the fact that those feel more human than sometimes Jesus does uh, is what resonates with me I want to push on that a little bit do it. because I think we do I think we do see some sense of character development even in Jesus. Oh. I think even even within Jesus's teachings we see it. The the conversation he has with the Syrophoenician woman like he has an aha moment when she says even the crumbs off the table feed the dogs, you know, and he's like, "Oh, shit, you're right." Like <laughs> <laughs> I should be saving and like caring for all people and not just Israel. And it's, you know, even outside the gospels, even I think the way Jesus is portrayed through the eyes of other people, we see a sense of development in how he impacted them and the the life that they are now carrying on. So I don't know. I kind of want to give him more credit. I'm kind of with you, Josh. Like, I love those stories. I love Lord of the Rings and you know, Chronicles of Narnia and Harry Potter and like all those wonderful things. But like if we if we enjoy the elements that they hone in in regards to the characteristics of Jesus and Jesus's ministry, like why don't we just like let's let the story stand for what they are? I, I kind of agree with you, Josh. I think that I'm like I think that I understand Tolkien's annoyance at Lewis. Like I think that if I read <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia now, I'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, as I read it as what, an 11 year old, I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. Like, what if Jesus was a lion? So profound. <laughs> and like, maybe Tolkien's version is not as profound because, like, arguably, the only reference to the Christ story in Gandalf's n- narrative and character arc is death and resurrection. So, like, therefore, mm-hmm. is every instance of death and resurrection inherently a reference to the Christ story just because that's so timeless at this point and even if it is I think that like Gandalf having that part of a piece of his story like let's just say it is a reference and like therefore makes Gandalf some form of Christ figure the rest of the story doesn't rep like does not parallel Jesus's story at all versus like the Aslan story totally does it's like such a specific view of atonement versus like the Gandalf story kind of presupposes like, well, what if like something similar happened like in death and resurrection, but it was with elves and evil elves. Like, <laughs> and it was like a different story of triumph. <laughs> and I, I think that what I do find fascinating about literature and story using the Christ figure trope is like almost putting a new spin on it. Like it's not, it's not just like a retelling and like trying to like slide in the the like Jesus like okay see this story about a lion well it's real <laughs> it's like a it's like a creative retelling and like presupposition of like that invites the reader to consider what other implications like a small piece of that story could have on a different story well okay i want to be specific i don't think it's entirely just focused on resurrection because there are other people in the bible who have been resurrected Lazarus i think it is the I, and... I think it's the idea uh dorcas tabitha oh yep. um tabitha. the young man yeah also known as dorcas oh yeah clever um, the guy that fell out the window when um oh, yep. i think peter was <laughs> speaking um i think it's the idea of salvation not just resurrection oh a resurrection a christ figure does not make mm-hmm. i think it's salvation 
Okay. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. and Well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Listen, we know every church nowadays has its own espresso bar. But that didn't stop us. We've partnered with Good Food Award winner Revel Coffee to present a custom Highline blend. This is not your church's undertrained barista's coffee. No, no, no. It's reliable, delicious, brews well with every home method, and honestly, it just smells great. This isn't your stale, burnt-to-a-crisp grocery store brand dark roast that tastes like it comes from the pits of hell. The Highline blend is properly sourced, roasted to order, and shipped out fresh. Support us by ordering a bag at highline.network shop, or tap the link in the show notes. I was also about to propose that it was something about how some characters discover wisdom along the way whereas i feel like sometimes christ characters are depicted as the fount of wisdom that you don't necessarily see them find that wisdom they're just full of it all the time Mm. it could be both you know what also or it could be none of it and we could be entirely you know what also comes to mind (laughs) and i'm not as well versed on this i will admit but like the whole idea of the messiah was a david figure like, like the Jews were thinking in terms mm-hmm. of David figure. Like, what will the David figure look like? What is the Messiah? Mm-hmm. Is the Messiah a person? Yeah. Is it? Is it what kind of person? Like, they were they were thinking in terms of David figure, and it was like very forward looking versus like, uh, I think we've turned Christ figure into the new one, and it it's it feels like a retroactive thing. Like we're looking at Christ figure in hindsight sure. versus like forward seeking. And I'm not really sure yeah. like what that means, if that like means anything practical, but I think that's interesting. Like unless you get stuck on the second coming of Christ and then you still have that forward looking motion. Oh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I throw that out there as if I have some good thought on it. But that is something puzzling, I think, about like I've been having conversations on Twitter a lot about how I think I'm a, a full preterist. Meaning I think all the prophecies of the Bible have been fulfilled already. And I don't think Revelation is telling anything about the future. I think it was telling us about first century Rome and the oppression of 
those emperors. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that like, I don't know what the second coming of Christ looks like. I don't know what judgment day looks like, but I have a felt sense and experience of knowing that I am living in an age in which I am called to participate in the growth and the flourishing of the kingdom of God. Mm. Don't necessarily know how to, you know, like sometimes it's very complicated on how we can achieve that. But I think a lot of Christians do have still a forward looking notion of like, Oh, but when Christ comes back the second time, everything will be solved. Yeah. Like it's a very like Maranatha vibe of like, Christ come quickly. We can't handle this on our own, which is a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And that feels very derogatory to say it that way, but <laughs> that's where I'm at there. Um, like the Christ figure, I don't know, like, like even modern or even ancient, ancient and modern Jewish people would look at like, no, the prophecy is for one Messiah. Like we're not really talking about like he, he came, but he didn't fully accomplish everything. So he comes back another time post-ascension i'm talking myself in circles do you guys know what i'm talking about yeah and i kind of the the point that you made about you know we can't handle this on our own we're waiting for the second coming and all will be fixed and all will be well essentially is the entire point of like superheroes (laughs) okay yeah i mean whether they're an alien or they fell in a out of toxic waste or was bit by a spider like they now have acquired these amazing abilities and now suddenly the world is like oh we're suffering and we need help there's all these evils in the world even though like those evils existed before the superheroes were like it's just interesting how now that there's a hero there's There's just something interesting about the story of like, what did people do before the superheroes? Because we really don't get a sense of that. Mm. And so there's this idea of, thank God we have a superhero, all will be well. It's almost like we're treating Jesus in the same way. Like, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about that, though. Yeah. There can be a sense with superheroes where it's like, whenever a new one shows up on the scene, they always seem to like, attract their match yeah in an evil sense of like obviously this is the way they make money on movies is you have to have struggle right you have to have conflict but like if every superhero attracts something that is just barely one notch below like their power level like there's going to be struggle but they're going to come out on top still um like the bigger the superhero, the bigger the evil sometimes is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. To that point, what do you think about the sentiment of Jesus's story being the greatest story ever told? I feel like that is such like a Christian <laughs> trope in referring to it, but like what, what would that even mean if that was true? And like, do you think that that has any merit? Yeah. Cause like what makes it the greatest if we have so many stories that are similar? Is it like what Steven is saying with like, Ultimate good defeats ultimate bad. Maybe. Because I think some people do believe that Mm -hmm. and like frame it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, I probably act as if that's true. I probably act as if if I believe that. Like I do. I mean, I'm a universalist, right? Like I think (laughs) I think it's all going to work out. (laughs) That's right. Even though I can recognize the evil. Well, and beyond that, you don't just believe it's going to work out. You believe Jesus will make it work out. Correct. Right. Yes. I explicitly am a Christian universalist. So I fall in that camp, I guess. Let me just explain Christian universalism to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I think the greatest story ever told is a fun platitude to fall back on as just, uh, let me rehearse one of the greatest meta narratives that us as humanity have ever discovered. Because because it is compelling, and to Emily's point, I mean, this entire episode is about how we can find Christ figures in so many, uh, you know, like so many works of fiction, explicitly intended or not by the author. Like the fact that we do draw lines back to that meta narrative that's embodied by Jesus in the Bible, I think that's meaningful, and I think that's fine to let it be meaningful. What about you, Emily? What what are your thoughts on greatest story ever told? I'm kind of with I'm kind of with Stephen on this. 
the fact that so many works and forms of art and storytelling all kind of point in the direction that is the story of Jesus and Jesus's ministry. Maybe that is what makes it the greatest story ever told is because there is, mm. I don't want to say there's nothing new that people can create. Cause obviously there's new stories always to be told, but I think the idea that like, this is a storyline that is typical found commonly and one that is well known is I think gives credit to the story of Jesus that, yeah, there's going to be new things that pop up. But the fact that this one, people commonly find a way back to, maybe that's what makes it the greatest. Yeah. Mm. Or even that it's a story that seems to be surprising to cultures that don't, you know, like that don't have it to begin with. Like, yeah. uh, Having learned about like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, or there's another lesser known one. I forget who the originator was, but it's called the heroine's journey. There was a great Robcast episode about it. I'll link to in the show notes. But so we do have meta narratives about like the hero's journey, right? Like you think Homer or you know, like the Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Gilgamesh. Yeah. But then you like, I've read about accounts of like the Celtic people having their meta stories. And then especially right Celtics being like Viking heritage reading about like Vikings who encounter the story of like a crucified God, which is so counterintuitive. Like, wait, what are you saying? Your God just isn't a conqueror, but somehow a conqueror through dying on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like that is so it's so counterintuitive and so weird. I think I've always heard that as a, as a way of like setting Christianity apart. And while I think, uh, I still think it's problematic for apologists to seize on that and be like, see, because our story is different, it must be true because the Buddhists yeah. think it's weird or the Hindus think it's weird. Um, We're the only one with this story. Therefore, it's real. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Such broken logic. Mm-hmm. I think that's problematic. Definitely. But I want to acknowledge that that discrepancy or that like uniqueness about it still does exist. And I love to see that integrated into ecumenical cultures Mm. and i that that's honestly what keeps me christian Mm. is like i i resonate very much with like the mysticisms of like sufi islam right um i very much resonate with the practices and the attitudes of buddhism but the thing that keeps me christian is is why a crucified god is different and maybe that's why we're drawn to the characters like Sam or Gandalf or Superman, you know, the fact that with great power, they could have conquered or they could have complete dominion. But the fact that they, in a way, lay down their life or show compassion and forgiveness and unconditional love in a way that is not typically attributed to a god, you know, is fascinating and i think that's partially why i love the stories of lord of the rings and even comic books for that matter is they learn of their abilities and they learn wow i have all this strength Mm -hmm. or speed or whatever and they learn that you know in the great peter parker (laughs) with great power comes great responsibility and what better way to do that than to care and to lay down your life for others I mean, that's the, yeah, that's exactly why it's cool to see, right? Like Superman is a refugee yeah, on the planet earth. Uh, Sam is, Sam and Frodo are like uh, the most humble creatures in a vast, incredible world, right? Like they come from Hobbiton mm-hmm. and the Shire and that gives you an underdog feeling of like the most humble, quote unquote, insignificant people can still have an impact on the world and reject yeah. like the lure of power that so many people are attracted to, right? Like Frodo could withstand the power of the ring while Boromir couldn't. And Mm -hmm. that has something to do with the way they were raised and something to do with the way they, they, like Frodo grew up just in a small town, minding his own business and enjoying his peaceful, boring life. Whereas Boromir was like set up to be the hero. And in that case, like it's inevitable he falls because he, eventually started to believe that he was going to be the hero 
And that mm-hmm. goes for, right, King David or the Maccabees mm-hmm. thinking that they were mm-hmm. the Messiah and then they weren't. Yeah. Emily, I'm going to answer one of your earlier questions. I think mm-hmm. that the character, the doctor in Doctor Who, I think has been Ooh. a Christ figure in a piece of media that I have loved the most. Share why. Like, I, I know, like, I think this is a great example for me because, like, I know that the, the doctor is probably not written as an allegory for Jesus. It is not inherently Christian media, but there are just, and it doesn't have, like, obvious parallels often, but there are just, like, so many, like, handfuls of moments in the show that, like, have sparked, like, theological wonder for me, either in, like, the personhood of Jesus or, like, what it means to love another human or... Like something awe-inspiring that like I have only ever experienced in the story of Jesus. And so therefore my brain like makes this connection of like, oh my God, like that to me gives more meaning to the biblical narrative. And like, but I'm also only seeing this connection because of the biblical narrative. Mm -hmm. And for me, that highlights the subjectivity of even recognizing a Christ figure too. Like we could go back and forth about like why Sam is a Christ figure or why Gandalf is a Christ figure. But like, to someone at a certain point, one of those is going to seem more like a Christ figure. And it probably has to do with like their own experience as well. And like their experience of the biblical text and the type of Jesus that they were handed. And I think that's super meaningful. Like, I think that we, I think to your point in asking this question, I think that we often don't give those characters a good enough amount of credit in terms of being able to teach us about ourselves, about theology, about understanding things in a 2,000-year-old book through the lens of something that was just created five years ago. Sure. And I think that that's... I personally think that's very profound. Like, it sounds really cheesy when I just, like, say it out loud, but, like, I think it's pretty cool. Like, cognitively, that's wild. Yeah. Here's a question. If the Bible was written in a way, like, whether it be a comic book or, like, one of the works of, you know, Tolkien... Would you read it? Whoa. Like, take the story of Jesus and apply it to, like, literally, like, not a character like Jesus, but Jesus himself, the story of Jesus, and take that and put it in the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien or a comic book or whatever. Would you read it? Uh, huh. Maybe out of curiosity. I don't see any reason why not. Like, I don't know if it would, like... (laughs) I don't know if it would particularly pique my interest. Like, I don't know if it would be that groundbreaking for me. Like, I'm sure people have made a graphic novel Jesus book. Yeah. Just as, oh, like, they, there have been Jesus movies. They have a, a Bible that's, like, a Lego Lego Bible. Oh, yeah. And it's Lego Bible. in comic book, like, a comic book version. And it's fantastic. Oh, my word. It's wonderful. I absolutely love it. What do you like about it uh, that you feel like is unique to it? Well, for one, Jesus isn't white. He's yellow, as are all the people. Okay. And I think the way creatively that the Bible through the lens of Lego shows, to me at least, the ways in which faith can be built, like literally, like you see how Uh. the scenes are constructed and to even imagine building a Lego version of Jerusalem one is just like mind blowing, but also just to see creatively a story like that coming to life through the lens of a 21st century toy shows that the story of Jesus really transcends time. And I think that's why these other forms are so amazing and we love them so much is because it just transcends and it can be warped and we still get the same meaning. I mean, I I like your answer, but I also think that that could be possible for almost any story. Like, that's why we have Lego Batman movies, and that's why we have Lego Indiana Jones, and like maybe someone's made a Lego Kama Sutra, maybe or Bhagavad Vita, <laughs> and like I think that that is what is unique about story anyway. But I'm also ha- struggling to voice exactly what I think the story of Jesus accomplishes or stands out. For because like I also agree that the story of Jesus is unique and shows a different picture of God that is not shown by any other religion, and mm-hmm. I do think that that's worth t- 
talking about and considering and stacking up against other views. And like, kind of like we talked about on the resurrection episode, like I totally believe in the story. Like the story holds so much power for me. And I think what threatens people in just talking about Jesus's story as narrative is I think that most people don't have enough myself included. Most people don't have enough literary background to be able to articulate like what makes a story more powerful or more meaningful than others. And obviously like with the story of Jesus, a Christian will have a different answer than a non-Christian. So there's also that complication. Mm -hmm. Here's a, here's a question that I'm just kind of rolling around in my head. Cause like I'm thinking about how much storytelling is utilized in Christianity just to talk about theology, like whether it's VeggieTales or Narnia or Tolkien or um, modern parables, the brothers Dostoevsky, mm. like lots of different examples throughout the last 2000 years. Yeah. And like rewinding all the way back, like let's just go full originalism. Jesus taught in parables. Is it effective? Like, do you think it mm. is effective, more effective, more functional for a certain thing to teach in stories? Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to agree. Yes. So do we then? Like, I feel like a lot of people would agree with that, but do we? Do we use story as well? Is that what you're asking? Like, do we, pr do we primarily teach with story if we believe that story is more effective than teaching with? Oh. Like, I don't think we do fact. enough, no. Do you think that's because we just recycle the parables to use them to preach on Emily. Like instead no, of I think telling the fresh story or the fresh version of it or whatever, like you just, you just read the Bible and tell the parable again and then say what it means. No, I think it's, I mean, yes, but also I think it's because we've just lost the art of telling a story. Hmm. I could agree with that. I think that as a culture, we tend to not, appreciate that and pursue that and have an oral tradition. Some, some people mm -hmm. still do, um, some families and cultures for sure, and some religious groups, but I think by and large, we definitely do not value it nearly as much as we used to uh, as yeah. humanity. Wow. I was going to say that I feel like uh, at least I feel like we're actually entering a time where we're rediscovering the value of story and that it's becoming oh, more sure. important and like more impactful especially like over and against i guess like my impressions of just like a very materialistic america of like the 70s 80s 90s or whatever like i don't know there's something about like i hear people even just discussing storytelling mm. a lot more like in podcasts or like analyzing story on a very uh like intimate level like i think about the countless hours I've spent with my friends discussing why the story that's being told actively on a channel like Critical Role is impactful to us and meaningful to us. Or like, mm. like I played a year and a half long D&D &D campaign where that story literally only exists among the six of us who played it. And yet we still talk about it because of the ways the characters like taught us something about ourselves or like impacted the way we think about friendship or sacrifice or camaraderie or community or anything like that. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's a lot. I think it's there. I think you just have to look for it, I guess. So are there any, uh, I don't know if there's any conclusions maybe to be drawn from this, but any closing thoughts as we wrap up? I think it's really interesting to talk about stories like that. I think the, I think a lot of people end up talking about Christianity and engaging with the story without like acknowledging that it is a story fundamentally. Mm, and yeah. I think mm -hmm. that we can only gain from talking about the story aspects. So I think this was a great convo. Thanks for bringing it up, Emily. Yeah. I think one thing I'm kind of taking away is just the appreciation for stories and how vital it is that we continue to share stories. And I know for me, I'm thinking of like for Thea, you know, it's for her to, to develop language. It's important that I talk to her. And so I narrate literally everything that I do in my day. So if I'm holding her or she's walking around with me, I say, 
I'm washing the dishes now. I'm going to be using this soap. Like, uh. it seems so weird to, like, narrate my life. But that's how <laughs> she learns. That's how she learns words. And she understands and makes observations. And so the art of telling a story really is fundamental, in my opinion. And we need to bring that artwork back, I think, of sharing stories. I'm struck by, I remember in episode 100, we had a DM from Aaron Fisher, I believe was the name. Yeah. And they had an amazing thought of like reading the Bible or reading, I mean, what I'm translating it to is reading the stories that move us as if they were true. And I I just love that idea of like, approaching story with an open hand and asking like how would I be different or how do I think I engage this differently as if it was true like there there are some elements to me of like I feel like I've done so much engaging with the story of Lord of the Rings that honestly I'm kind of bummed that I'll never actually meet Samwise Gamgee in heaven (laughs) feels silly to say that that way but it's true um but as if it's true is such a cool way of approaching story and like finding a way to let it resonate and let it teach you something and like being open to any story from any culture having something to teach you if you're ready to listen to it yeah well said yeah emily how would you close the chapter on this episode Ooh, if you had to say the end to it good pun I don't really know if I have like a conclusion. The only thing I can think of is in stories, you know, there's the classic phrase, they lived happily ever after. And I'm wondering what that looks like in a world where we're raveling out beliefs and theologies and trying to figure out who we are, what we're meant to do, what our purpose is, the point of it all. And maybe the story is, that's the point. We're trying to figure it out and we can figure it out together. Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.